guys. Hey, guys. Welcome back to The Selfie Show. It's Tori. And Sam. Two besties bringing you all things healthcare, humor. And unpopular opinions. Today's is spicy. Very spicy. And much needed. Um. All right. Super. We're recording this. Playoff Sunday. Yeah. And you guys, Tori knows nothing about sports. <laughs> it's honestly, like, appalling. <laughs> Me and Jacob are having this conversation upstairs, and she mm-hmm. doesn't know... Who anyone is. No, I don't. Well, actually, that's not true. I know who Joe Barrow is. <laughs> Joe Barrow. Yeah, only because I force feed him to you. Well, yeah. I wanted. So last year we did a Super Bowl episode about Pastor Smash, but it was about the halftime performers. Yes. Which you know who those people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and we were talking about like what we could do this year. And I was like, can we do like a F. Mary kill of uh, players, players that are in the Super Bowl? And she's like, doesn't know who any of them are. <laughs> I literally don't And I'm know. like, oh. But I feel like I could brush up, you know. Yeah. I could do a little research. We could get into this. I feel I like a Super Bowl F. Mary, Mary Kill would be like a super fun. Hilarious. Right? Let's do it. I mean, I, I got to I gotta do some work. I got to do some research on these Because I'd marry the shit out of Joe Burrow. I am like shocked mm. at how much you love him. This is your celebrity uh, crush right now. It I'm is. I'm, and he's such a baby. Like, obviously, I'm way too much of a cougar for him. But, but that's kind of like the intrigue. He is so spicy. He's so cute. And I didn't know much about him. And you hear you. You and Jake are filling me in on all these things. Thank God you're keeping me up to speed, Queen, because I have no idea. I am just not that kind of girl. As we're recording this, there's one quarter left of the Dallas 49ers game, and it's tied nine to nine. And I, sorry if you're a Cowboys fan, like I'm wholeheartedly sorry, because that must be a miserable life that you leave. (laughs) But like I, and I'm not even a 49ers person. I just really want the 49ers to go because Nick Bosa's thighs oh, are yeah. delicious okay i'll also say he is, he is a specimen yeah i just show tori him oh but she doesn't God. know who he is either okay no now i do know and i'm obsessed and it's funny because okay so i've been following the the 49ers saga a little bit here and there i am a 40 i will say i'm a bandwagon 49er fan you say okay? following the saga meaning jacob and i just updated you two hours ago upstairs <laughs> no, about the quarterback situation like, for whatever reason i feel like the 49ers have been popping up everywhere in like in my era in my in my aura of things and so i'm like i'm kind of here for the 49ers i am here for this i don't I'm want them to the win i want my my husband joe my yeah, baby daddy but i think out of the entire nfl the 49ers and the Bengals have the hottest teams oh like the oh. hottest players so i want them to be in the super bowl so Obviously. that we can do the f mary kill with a <laughs> good talent pool so anyways um, yeah if I get distracted it's because the game is on in the background while I'm recording it's a low scoring game it is yeah that's actually um, you know yeah they're fine for it here we go Um, um okay so this week's unpopular opinion is hilarious not hilarious but it's one that stuck out to us so we decided to go through your unpopular opinions the opinions that you guys submitted in our form from the 2022 recap and mm-hmm. so we're gonna start sprinkling these in a little bit here and there because your unpopular opinions and then the ones that we do on the dropbox are phenomenal yeah so let's get at, let's get this one this one is spastic yeah so this is a user submitted one that i was like oh and tori and i first disagreed on it we did but i okay yeah let's okay do it. let's do it so their unpopular opinion is it's time to lose the masks for healthcare workers Ooh. so actually some states have Okay. I have counterparts in the Midwest that are like, yeah, that's not a thing in our hospitals anymore. That's in California. It is a hardcore thing. I've had someone yell at me in the lobby. I was literally sitting there because I visit multiple hospitals all over Southern California and in Nevada. And I was sitting in the lobby of a hospital drinking my water and some lady walked by and was like, did like a motion like to put my mask up. I'm like, I am in this lobby by myself. There's no one here. There's no one 
in any of these couches, my coworkers in the bathroom and I'm sipping my water, like get yeah, bent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So here was my take on it or my thought on it initially. Okay. So when we were going through the pandemic, honestly, a lot of us were kind of thinking that the masks would become the new gloves, right? It's like the new thing that just is going to become a standard just because like there was never a day we could imagine not having them again. Right. And my initial thought to this was I actually going into the hospital feel like I would prefer to wear a mask in most settings or in many settings, just because the hospital in in general just tends to be a germ infested place, right? Like when you're walking in, it's just sort of one of those places in my head that I would prefer to wear a mask anyways. However, I will say this, we're getting to the tail end of this where everyone's getting over it. Well, no, I mean, I looked you in the eyes and I'm like, okay, but why? You're like, I would feel more comfortable. I prefer, I'm like, that's fair. Look, as someone who's like lost someone from COVID, I've taken it seriously the whole time. I've spent my two birthdays alone. I've been- You and I were very, very pro. And I, not even were, we- not past tense. We have been and vaccinated, taking it very seriously, vaccinated, boosted. We've worn our masks, the whole thing. But I'm a critical thinker. So I'm not like trying to bash you, but I'm like generally like, let's play devil's advocate. I'm like, well, why, why do you feel more comfortable? You're like, well, cause they're so dirty. I'm like, okay, did you go to the grocery store today? Yeah. And then even the other, did you like wipe down your cart before you started walking your Trader Joe's cart around? Yeah. And then we're kind of like getting into the, did you go to the movies? I was like, did you, I asked you, I was like, did you, when you went to Mexico, did you wear it on the plane? You're like, yeah, I did. did. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I respect that. Yeah. And I travel Certain a lot I do. and I see people, I don't wear one when I travel anymore yeah. because at this point I've been boosted and then I had COVID after I was boosted and I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't. Well, and it's a good <laughs> point too, when you're thinking about it and Sam brought this up and I a hundred percent agree. And this is how it's been the whole time is like, you know, you're, we're walking into these places in the hospitals and we're around other people who have supposedly been exposed to or at concerts and on plane flights and in places with a high volume of people and so like we're going and wearing their masks in you know our settings but then we go into the break room and we take them off and there you go so yeah I mean like there's a lot of yeah to me like we just we do or should make this make sense and to each their own like if someone wants to wear it still great but if you want to be able to take it off and I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm like, even in between sometimes care times, it's just nice to be able to take it off and like not have it on. I'll never like judge someone or roll my eyes to wearing it like you. And especially yeah, like you I, do have, you. I have a friend whose mom had a heart transplant. She needs to be super, oh, super freaking careful. Um, You have a child who's immunocompromised. You're immunocompromised. Like, yes, but in general, in healthcare, we were always when there was like a known risk. Right. But it's like, if we're not practicing or exercising that known risk in all areas of our life like to sit there and be sitting in the break room with someone who was at a concert last night on your left side and then someone on your (laughs) right hand side was at an indoor basketball game and then you were at a house party last night for sure with 50 people and then you guys are all sitting in the break room eating yada yada life is good and then you walk out of that to all sit down next to each other at the nurse's station wearing a mask it's kind of (laughs) like Well, and that's kind of like where a lot of this, also I'm... the critical thinking with a lot of the rules that were set anyways, it is frustrating because sometimes it felt like things weren't really thought through the whole way. And so I think this is one of those things where it's like, like, I feel like in patient care areas, like maybe to protect the patient, almost a reverse like, ISO situation, like that patient doesn't know if you were at a basketball game last night. Yeah. So yeah, maybe still wearing them in patient care. Yeah, but yeah, for sure in the lobby 
and stuff. It's like, how's that any different than when you guys were just all at the grocery store in line? I mean, and there's higher risk areas in the hospital than others. Yeah. You know, ED departments, obviously, that's in my head, that would be a good one. Or certain, if you're taking care, of, and this is how it was before anyways, we were still wearing protective equipment prior with certain patients and yeah, certain always. areas. There was different levels. There's droplet, 100%. there's whatever, but it's like, but it's, yeah, we know based on COVID, like you really should be wearing it N95 if you really want true protect. I don't know. I'm a little, I just, yeah, yeah I kind of agree, I agree with, with this, this one. It's yeah. like, make it make sense or critical thinking. Like if we're here for it. Yeah. I don't know. I like this. I'm not like saying the pandemic's over. I didn't say that. No, and I'm not saying don't be responsible and don't be careful still, but to be sitting at the break room and it's like, yeah, it's, it's okay dumb. in there, but it's not okay. <laughs> five feet outside of the break room is like, kinda, yeah, for sure. Kind of, kind of funky that's what we do here at the selfie show we are we're, but like i see a yeah. lot of waiters like they wear one the whole time because they're like serving a million different people like if i was a server working at a restaurant i would probably mm, i wouldn't be opposed to wearing one or if i was still like a flight attendant and i was the one being exposed to all these randos right right right. i don't know yeah Man, we're here for it. Okay. We love a spicy conversation. That was a good one, by the way. And yeah. if you guys want to, we're going to continue to drop that box for your unpopular opinions. Yeah, um, submit so em. definitely submit those. We are obsessed. All right. We're getting into it with the guest of this week. So this is a good one if you really need a juge or you want to refresh your life in 2023. But we have Amanda on. She was back on in 2020, and she is the founder of Resume RX. She's an Ivy League-educated nurse practitioner, a keynote speaker, career mentor, and entrepreneur who helps nursing professionals land their dream job. She founded the Resume RX in 2018 and has grown the community to over 40,000 nursing students and professionals worldwide. Amanda has been featured in Indeed Career Guide, Nurse Grid, Scrubs Magazine, Nurse.org, and is the host of the Nurse Becoming podcast. She's also been named one of the 30 best nurse influencers to follow on social media. And today we're getting into so many amazing things. We're getting into build branding a <laughs> we're getting into building a brand, overcoming imposter syndrome, debunking the top job application myths. We're getting into LinkedIn and all the tips and tricks over there. Cover letters, are they really necessary? We're getting into that. Strategies to ace your interview and stepping into your own personal journey. Get ready, you guys. Buckle up. This is a good one. So without further ado, let's welcome Amanda to The Selfie Show. Well, okay, so so much has gone on since last we saw you, and so we're really curious. I wasn't even here. This. No. I know. <laughs> no, really. Nice to meet you, Sam. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry about the four hundred five LA traffic as I'm like still even my keys oh away. Oh my god, it's so funny because yeah, I it was like that. right before. Oh my god, here um, we I go. came on. Yeah. Okay. Well, though, in that case, we definitely need to know what is your unpopular opinion. So my unpopular opinion, I would say, is that nurses don't, and this is a nursing-related unpopular opinion, hopefully that's okay, um, we that, that we don't need to start out paying our dues anywhere. Um, I don't like to hear that you have to work two years in med surge, or if you're an advanced practice nurse, you have to work two years in primary care before you can go do what you want to do. I'm all for people doing what they want to do from the get-go. Yes, sister. We are all about that message. Shut that out a lot. But it's nice to hear it from other people because I feel like we beat that dead horse to death. But you're also like the job queen. Like, you know the market. You know what's out there for us. You know 
like all the opportunities, which is why it's so cool to have you like back on again to give everyone kind of the updated perspective of, of everything that's available to us. Mm -hmm. So, okay. On that note, I'm really curious. Okay. What has been going on the last two years? Like, can you give us a recap of like everything that you've been doing and maybe how your business has changed and evolved before we get a recap can we even just get like a quick background info for the new listeners Mm -hmm. yeah of course so uh, my name's Amanda. I'm a nurse practitioner, and I'm the founder of the Resume RX. And um, it's a content company and digital info product company, essentially that teaches nurses how to find, land, and love their dream jobs. So I've got podcast episodes, blog posts, paid templates and programs teaching you how to write a great resume, how to be a magnetic interviewee, how to negotiate your salary, basically all those kind of professional things that we don't really learn how to do in school. Uh, That's really my domain. And so I love creating content in that area. And then um, I've got you know, a suite of programs and templates to really help you up level in that regard. And so I think the last we spoke back then, I was probably still writing resumes for people. I had either just had my third kiddo or I was expecting her. Um, And since then, things have kind of really grown in the Resume RX world. I feel like I've kind of established uh, a name for myself as hopefully, you know, one of the go-to places to go for these job-related resources. And yeah, things have been going really well. Personally, I had taken some time away from my clinical job to focus on growing the Resume RX full-time. So that was probably a change when we spoke last this was probably still a, a side hustle for me quote unquote so so yeah during the pandemic there were some circumstances that kind of forced me out of the clinical environment and i focused on the business full time which was really great for me really fun for me really great for the business and just in the past 6 months i have gone back into the clinical world 2 days a week or so um so just kind of uh, figuring out what that what that means for me, you know, what my new workflow is for um, the business. But but hopefully my goal is that no one really realizes that yeah. behind the scenes things have shifted because, you know, content is still there. My website is still there. You know, new content is coming out. My emails go out once or twice a week because I want to make sure that everyone's still has what they need so that I can still. How has it been going back into the field? What's that been like? Yeah, so it's been fun. I... I was really reluctant. You know, I kind of had all but decided that I was just going to make kind of a graceful exit from the clinical world. But truth be told, I needed clinical hours in order to recertify as an NP with with my particular certification. So I kind of came to this crossroads of, okay, am I going to go all in on this business at the expense of my certification and my credibility and and really no longer be able to call myself an NP? Or am I going to take one for the team, which is kind of how I felt about it, you know, find a job so that I could get my clinical hours done so that I could maintain my certification and credibility. So that's ultimately what I decided to do. But I've been having a lot more fun than I ever anticipated, which I think is probably proof that I healed the burnout that I had before I made my exit, which I hope is a little bit of an inspirational light at the end of the tunnel for some folks who may be listening who may be in the thick of a burnout or or close to it or recovering from it. I didn't think that I would be, you know, excited to 
be back taking care of patients again, but but I am. So that that's good sunshiny news, I think. It's such a cycle because Sam and I can echo that 100%. I think both of us have both had those I feel like you hit burnout early, like earlier than me. Three and a half years. Like I was convincing you, like, please don't leave me. Yeah. Please don't leave me. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, as your friend, do what's best for you. But selfishly, please don't leave me. And you left me. Yeah. And then you came back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) prodigal son, she came back. But you were so like in such a better place when you came back. 1000%. And I think a piece of it was, was creating and doing the selfie show and starting to create my own little side thing. And finding my rejuvenation. And I think for Sam too, you know, she's stepping into a new role and you're finding all these amazing new pieces of yourself. It's just, it's funny because it's such a journey and I love hearing this because I think this is what we need to be talking about, right? Like there's so many avenues for us and there's so many different ways you can work and create your own thing as a nurse. Well, I kind of said like, I don't ever want to do any patient care related anything again. And then right now I just applied for a volunteer medical trip that my company's doing um to send like 12 healthcare workers from our company over to Macedonia and Kosovo to improve like work on neonatal care which is like my background my wheelhouse and I've got so excited when my boss emailed me that opportunity of like hey apply to this volunteer trip and I'm like oh my god like to take care of babies again and especially like on a volunteer level where it's really needed like got me all excited again. I didn't feel like I haven't felt excited to even like lay hands on a patient again. So it's kind of nice to like you pull back and then go back when and where it's like right for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And like, I'm not working full time clinically again. And honestly, uh, I don't know that I ever Same. will work full time clinically Same. again. And that's, you know, a, a privilege that I have and, you know, circumstances that I've created for myself by, you know, having this business. And um, so I definitely think that that's a piece of the puzzle because, you know, just creating that space to figure out what you like and and figure out what lights you up personally, but also professionally is just, you know, something that I needed to recover and then to decide, okay, I want to be picky about what I want to do. You know, I don't want to feel pressured into returning. I want to make decisions based on what will light me up as opposed to, you know, the money that I need in the bank. Like being able to make decisions from a different place, I think Mm -hmm, really is, it's helpful, but you know, there's also, that's not accessible to everybody, um, you know, at any given time. So it's definitely, it can be a really vicious cycle, I think. Yeah. It's so funny because thinking back to it, the whole reason and where this kind of the foundation was, was because I used one of your products and so did Sam. And, you know, it's so interesting because you've really created this amazing brand and these amazing resources for nurses and now for NPs and extending into healthcare. And actually it's funny because we, I've actually recommended this to RTs and other people who have also used these for their, so I think it goes beyond, you know, just our realm, but I really want to go back to this. So when you were starting this whole company, like how did you start this? And like, where did this really begin? And, you know, cause you're so gifted in this way, but like it's, this takes a lot of work. I mean, like what you do does take a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. Everything really started 
to to make a NICU connection. So I was a NICU mom. I had my twins at 31 weeks. They were born early. We spent a month in the NICU. And I when I returned to work, I really struggled with my, you know, whole identity, what it meant for me to be a working person, what it meant for me to be a parent. And it was around that time that I started to think, okay, like I need an exit strategy from this full-time working life. I was working full-time as an emergency department nurse practitioner, working overnights. And I was like, I, I need a way, I need a way out. Um, but I also wanted to find a business idea so that my way out could also supplement my my income. So I was looking for something. And I tried on a couple different things. I tried on, you know, freelance writing, freelance medical writing, freelance blogging, and it was good practice. Nothing really gained any momentum until I was in, you know, surfing a Facebook group one day, an NP Facebook group, and someone asked a question about a resume. And this was always a skill set that I had I don't really know why this always came easily to me like I'm a I'm a decent writer uh, I've always been academically inclined so when someone asked for advice on their resume they asked a question that I knew the answer to so of course I just jumped in and helped and I think I sent a screenshot of what my resume looked like and I got just tremendous feedback on this one person's random Facebook post right but that was the spark of the idea of oh, this is something that other people struggle with that I'm good at. Could this be the business idea that I'm looking for? Uh, and and so we kind of all know how that story ends. It was the business idea I was looking for. So I started by building some testimonials. I had some friends, some colleagues that I said, hey, can I rewrite your resume for you for free? And then you give me some recommendations, that type of thing. So, you know, it really started with me being a resume writer for nursing professionals. And when I quickly realized that that was still going to take up so much more time of my time than I really wanted, then I also was simultaneously thinking, okay, how can this also be something that's leveraged? So as I was doing these resumes for people, I was also playing around with different designs so that I could come up with some basically create some templates for people to do things themselves because then I really only needed to create them once but they could be purchased over and over again and so that was ultimately what I was focusing on and kind of bootstrapping my way towards as I was writing custom resumes for other people the focus was always to grow the template side of the business as big as possible so that I could eventually stop doing resumes for other people, which that switch happened at the beginning of 2021. I was able to basically retire my custom services because the templates and the other things were able to sustain the business. They're so easy to, I love them. And they're so pretty. Yeah, they're well, gorgeous. Why, why does Thank that you. even matter? Like one, just the actual aesthetics of your resume and then getting even to the content of it. Like why, why is that even important to us? I've seen there are kind of a couple sides to this. I think that one of the biggest benefits is the fact that when we put information about ourselves into something that looks good and we print it off and we look at it and we're like, wow, this this I'd looks good. Me. And it's about I'd me. Hire. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd oh, hire boss. me. Exactly. Exactly. I have found that like the biggest deliverable is the confidence in the person who completes 
the resume and and goes through the process and says, wow, I am absolutely hireable. This looks really good. I did this myself. And it kind of feeds this confidence that gets people, you know, out there, putting themselves out there for jobs and thus having more success in this whole process because, simply because they're more confident. Like you can't deny that when you are more confident about something, you put off a particular energy and that energy can definitely lead you to more opportunities in whatever we're talking about, job related or not. So that's one thing. The other thing is that when you're in this job application process, it's likely that your first round of things might be an online application where this really doesn't matter much. But nine times out of 10, before you get hired, you're going to go for an in-person interview and you're going to hand over a copy of your resume. Hopefully you've printed it on some nice paper. And it's just kind of a nice outward reflection that someone can hang on to, to read about your accomplishments, to be impressed and to, you know, feel something sturdy in their hand. You know, it makes a good first impression the same way we want to, you know, dress to impress in the interview situation because we want to make a good impression. Um, We're doing the same thing when we have an aesthetically pleasing resume on a nice piece of paper that we hand over to whoever is interviewing us. So what do you think are like the biggest myths, like top three myths that people have about when they're like doing their resume? Mm -hmm. So I would say the first one is about the length. So I think that it's a myth that your resume has to be just one page. I think that plenty of people have experience that exceeds one page that is still worthy of including on their resume. So, uh, and plus, if you are thinking about the aesthetics, you don't want to cram everything onto one page either. Plenty of folks, probably most nurses with less than five to seven years of experience can probably fit everything on one page. But once you have had, you know, multiple jobs, once you're in advanced practice or leadership and you have kind of more things to include or even just beyond that five-year mark, then it's absolutely okay to go on to a second page. I I recommend being, you know, judicious about what you're including so that you're not stuffing the resume full of information that may not be read. Um, but you don't have to keep it to just one page. So that would be the first myth that I would say. Um, The second myth, um, some people think that the resume is simply a place to write the job description of the role that they currently have or the roles that they've had in the past. Mm -hmm. And while it's important to include the context about what you do and what you've done, I think it's just as important, if not more, to focus on your accomplishments and kind of what's what sets you apart, especially in nursing when like so many of us have the same letters after our name and on paper, you can't really discern the difference, right? Based on our credentials necessarily. But by including, you know, initiatives that you've been a part of, committees you've been on, accomplishments, if you have any sort of like quantifiable scores, if your if your department can give you your discharge times or your patient satisfaction, any of that type of stuff, if you can include it, that's really, really great. And the third myth that I would say is that cover letters are dead. Um, I hear this a lot, like it's, and I get asked this a lot when I do interviews. (laughs) Right, are cover letters dead? And I'm here to say no. Sometimes it's evolved into a cover email, but I really think any opportunity you have to tell your story, to include any sort of personal narrative 
to introduce yourself through, you know, more narrative writing as opposed to bullet points on a resume, take advantage of that, of that opportunity. So if it says cover letter required or cover letter optional, that to me means send a cover letter for sure. I feel like if I was a hiring manager, that would be the thing that sets that person apart. Well, I feel like what's dead is like a generic cover letter that you send off to the 10 different employers. I think it's very, like to what Amanda said, useful, Mm -hmm. but when it's specific and custom to that job, it's very personal about you and your, how you fit in with them. And it's like, not just one generic one where you just switch out the name at the top and can send it off to everyone. That's kind of like, I feel like you can see right through Mm -hmm. the like blah of that. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, I totally agree. Like we don't want to whom it may concern and just like the same carbon copy. To saying to whom it may concern, what are your biggest like Oh, you know, the ick trend. What are your okay, big the resume icks? Or like just fails. Like if someone, back when you used to do the personal customization and someone's like, here's my resume. And you're like, all right, we got to rehaul this thing. What are your yeah. biggest like yeah. icks like, or oh, resume no, fails? Or like, oh no, honey. And, and, then, and then thoughts on objective statement. Is that dead? Ooh. Oh, love that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So, so the objective statement is one of my icks. Uh, thank you. It's always in my it has... My objection is to be a nurse. Well, no fucking okay. shit. That's what you went to school for. I've, I've never so, understood it. So I'm so glad that... Here we okay, go. I feel like you've redeemed me. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it has evolved, okay? So like we're not putting our objective anymore. Instead, we're putting a personal summary, which is basically like a very short version of your cover letter where you're briefly introducing yourself. You're putting a little narrative about your experience, the value that you bring to the particular role, that type of thing. So it's just a reframing. So rather than focusing on what your objective is, you're really trying to tell a little, you know, couple sentence narrative through the lens of what that employer wants, right? So it's just a little bit of a of a shift. So that's definitely objective is one of my one of my icks to whom it may concern that phrase is one of my icks. Like, even if you don't know who you're writing it to, just say to the nursing recruitment team or to the hiring manager of whatever unit you're applying to. Like, it's so easy to just switch that. To whom it may concern is just so impersonal. References available upon request, that quote unquote, like including that on a resume. I never got that. It's just a waste of space. Like, obviously, if you request, if you request my references, I'm going to give you references right like why well, i don't need also, to also you're going to have to have them no put matter it on what there. so I, exactly. you're going to have to have them it doesn't matter where you're going <laughs> right i basically i don't like redundancy and i don't like wasting wasting space on on a page so that's definitely one of my icks and then the other thing that's one of my icks is a skills section that just talks about like generic things that most people microsoft word are good at <laughs> excel <laughs> powerpoint or like you know um Customer service, yeah, friendly communication, just like very Strong basic team, character traits. Team, member. team, member. team, team yeah, team, team oriented, team player, yeah, things like that. Like you can just with a few minutes of thinking or thesaurus.com, like you can just do so much better and and really like take the opportunity to read the job posting that you're applying to, and you don't need to copy and paste it, but know what they're looking for, and then know the things about you that are what they're looking for, and just put that. I want to know about this because I've seen this as a trend, and I've seen and heard a lot of 
mixed messages on it. And I really want to know your thoughts on this. What are your thoughts about a picture on in on a resume? So I do have thoughts about this. I don't, I don't think that I don't think that nursing has evolved to the point where headshots are appropriate on resumes with a few exceptions. And and my reasoning for that is because like we're not really an industry where your appearance should matter. There's opportunities for bias that I don't like. Um and also, you know, we're just not more of the one of those modern industries like graphic design or the creative fields where like it makes more sense to include a headshot. So in most cases, I say no. The exceptions would be those fields within healthcare where maybe it does matter and maybe you do want to lead with your appearance, which still feels kind of shallow saying it, but like aesthetics or plastic surgery medical or device sales. kind of the more <laughs> medical devices. Yeah. No, honestly, as shallow as it was, I put my picture on there, okay. but only because I knew that was the industry I was going with. I wanted okay. to show you yes. guys that like, I smile. Yeah. I'm smiley. Like you can yeah. put me in front of someone and I will be smiley. So here's a big picture of me with a stethoscope around my neck, smiling away. Like, <laughs> that was a calculated shallow move. Cause I, yeah. I know like I'm a customer facing representing my company like of their personal brand so look I have all my teeth and I smile you can put me out there yeah yeah so like I kind of have mixed feelings about it because because of course like I'm going to tell you to put a profile picture on your LinkedIn profile so is that really much different than putting a photo on your resume not really um but I think that the expectation you know, I don't want to say that nursing is an antiquated industry, but, you know, we, the leaders within our healthcare system are not as modern or not 100%. as youthful, <laughs> you know, not as young. They Like maybe in uh, a bit of time where there's been some changeover and, you know, the millennial and Gen Z's take over, but. I did have a younger manager. So she told me once that, I mean, they do new grad programs twice a year. And they interview a ton of them. And she actually said, like, it was kind of nice, some of them that had pictures when we're going back through trying to make our final decision because we have six spots and we interviewed 25 people. Once I saw the face on the picture, it was like, oh, I remember her interview. She or they did, like, really good. Like, that was, that person was really, like, bubbly or whatever. It kind of helped, like, remind them who it was that they interviewed. So I also think it's kind of a difference, like, if you're an experienced nurse, yeah. Like right. your stuff speaks for itself on top of that. But like if you're applying to a new grad program where it's a thousand applicants and they interview 50 people for six spots and you're like, hey, remember who I am? But I don't know. I feel like they also have like their portfolios with mm-hmm. that could have. I don't know. What do you feel about a portfolio? Yeah. Yeah. I I love a portfolio. Nursing schools push that now. Me too. I love so, a portfolio for many yeah, reasons. I love what, a portfolio. What goes in that? Like, Do you have like, is that part of your website, like a portfolio? I do have a portfolio template. Yeah. Basically it's all your receipts, right? So you're going to have your resume, you're going to have 
a cover letter. If you're graduating from school, you may have like procedure logs, that type of thing. You're going to have copies of your license, your certifications. You know, if you've done anything scholarly, any projects, any research papers, it really depends on what you're using the portfolio for. If it's more of like a clinical job, maybe you're going to have some patient recognition Thing, like the write-ups that you get, whatever, you know, every hospital calls them something different, like the stars or whatever. You might include some of those. You might have evaluations. You might have um, minutes from a committee that you were on or some sort of PI project you were involved with. It's it's basically, you know, turning, bring all the receipts for what you're talking about on your resume so that someone could actually peruse and see see the the content of what of what you've done. I personally feel like portfolios are so underrated. And the reason is, so when I'm working with um, my, my mentors, one of the things that I always suggest to them is really get into your portfolio. And it's actually funny because you can really lean on it when you're in your interview, right? It's like, they can say something to the effect of like, hey, like, tell me about a time or tell me your back strength or, you know, whatever the question may be. And then, you know, in your head, you can just oh reference and go to your portfolio and say, oh, well, actually I did that. It's mm-hmm. like it's so easy. And it's also something I think much like what you're saying about the resumes is when you put together the portfolio, it's like the bigger picture and it starts getting your brain going of like, OK, what am I good at? Like, what are my strengths and why did I like this? And you know, I mean, I can think on the top of my head between Sam and I are like the things that we've done over the years. And mm-hmm. I've actually kept up with my portfolio because I think it's kind of cool to see the things that I've done over the years. It's a like, lot harder to build it way later and be like, shit, how do I find this from this mm-hmm. past job? If you're like building, yep. keeping up with keeping it, up with even it. if you're not actively looking, mm-hmm. when the time comes that you do maybe want to switch, you're not scrambling to find your mm-hmm. old receipts. I like that you call it receipts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I feel like it's easier. It's easier to understand, like when you put it in that perspective. And then, you know, same thing when you're ready to update your resume. If you've kept your portfolio up to date, then you have everything to to draw from. Mm -hmm. And you're not just like staring, being like, what what, what did I do in this job? (laughs) I think what accomplishments did I have? (laughs) I think you made a good point, Tori, like about interview questions. I think the biggest interview question fail I always see is when people don't have a concrete example. Like, tell Mm -hmm. me about a time and they're like, oh, and it's a very Mm wishy-washy. But when you can actually be like, oh, I was on this committee. Like, even if it's a, how do you work well with teams? Well, I was on this committee and we were really trying to update this policy Mm -hmm. and we were in different camps. If you look in my portfolio, you can kind of see the outcome, but this is how we worked on it. This is the steps we take. And you're able to give like Mm -hmm. concrete evidence and then even backing up with your portfolio. That's like chef's kiss right there. Totally. That's what they want to hear. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And like, okay, the hard questions, right? Like, um, what's your, you know, biggest weakness or tell me about a time when you made a mistake. And it's like to you, like, okay, well I did this project and what didn't work or Mm -hmm. where was some conflict there? It's like, it's so much easier. And I think we really, it's like, you think you have to pull straws to get these things, but really it's it's the easiest thing when you just really put it together and you start thinking about your experiences. Like for sure. And I think that like to give a tip about those, tell me about a time when questions, which, you know, really throw everybody off. Like you can prepare for that. You can basically anticipate that those questions will be asked and think in advance of a handful of scenarios. Try to get, you know, a couple different uh, areas, you know, something, some sort of scenario that involved your coworkers, some scenario that involved patients, some scenario that involved leaders. And, you know, think of scenarios that you can 
manipulate to fit pretty much any one of those questions. And if you know those scenarios, like the back of your hand, then you're not going to be fishing in your brain to come up with a scenario. All you have to think about is, okay, what's a good example within this scenario that applies to the question being asked? And I find that that really helps people so much more than trying to like memorize 10 different scenarios or going into it without preparing at all because it seems too daunting. Right. You brought up LinkedIn. I was just yeah. going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, ask it, ask it. Okay, so I really want to know, one, how important is it? And two, like, we want all the LinkedIn tips. Like, what are your tips for this? LinkedIn is a funny place. <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> what? what? LinkedIn premium. Is that a scam? Why is it what? so oh, expensive? I yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I only pay for it because Well, it's, it's a little part of your business. Yeah, I mean, yes. that makes sense. For not, you know, most people, I don't recommend that you pay for the premium. I think you should just do the the free version. But here's the thing, like, n- there are nurses on LinkedIn. I wouldn't say that there are a lot of nurses. I, I, I poll people when I do talks and interviews, like, are you on LinkedIn? Are you not? The majority of advanced practice nurses are, I will say. Um, but the majority of RNs are not. And... Is it necessary? No. But is it a tool that can lead to great things? Absolutely. It kind of depends on how you want to use it. I think that it's really beneficial when you are job searching or looking for some sort of very specific advancement in your career. You know, if you definitely want to become some sort of leader or some specific specialty, like if you want to be connected with a certain type of person, then LinkedIn can be great. Because I'll tell you what, all the C-suite people are on LinkedIn. 100%. All the decision makers, all the higher, absolutely. The physicians are on there. The leaders of your hospital are on there. All the HR people from every single hospital ever, Mm -hmm. including third-party recruiters. They are Mm -hmm. all on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and they're looking for you. Yeah. (laughs) They are looking for you. (laughs) They find you. So get hit up every week. Yes. They do. And well, I think it's an underrated tool in that Mm -hmm. way. You know, I think a lot of nurses are kind of sitting back and they're, you know, we're all burned out, we're tired, all these things. And like, to me, I'm like, spruce up that LinkedIn and get out there and someone will actually find you a job. There's recruiters, literally, their whole job is to find find you a job like I mean there's so many things out there right it's like and I agree with you all of those higher-ups everybody doctors this is that's kind of the platform I feel like Mm -hmm. where a lot of them are and that says something right it's like you know absolutely so even if you just have like a placeholder profile like just fill out your profile put a picture on there you know make sure that you can be found that's that's absolutely enough. And if you can go the extra mile by, you know, really connecting with people and even, you know, commenting on other people's things, putting out your own posts and content, that's, you know, like next level. But just, you know, get a basic profile up on there, connect with some people, connect with us, peruse our connections, right? Like I, there are so many people and I and I say this every time I do because I do uh, lectures for NP students and I'll and nursing students too. I'll I'll talk about LinkedIn. I'll talk about how awesome it is. And their first job is to go on LinkedIn and to connect with me, and to then look through all of my connections because you can filter and sort other people's connections. So you could 
connect with me. And then you could look and see which of my connections work at UCLA or whatever, Mm -hmm. because maybe you want to work there or maybe you want to connect with someone specific and you could say, oh, Amanda, I see that you're connected with so-and-so. Can you introduce me? And then, you know, I just write a message to both of you saying, you know, introducing you both. And that's a network connection right there. And it's so easy. It's like you don't have to you don't have to step outside of your home. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're an introvert like me, you might really (laughs) you might really love LinkedIn networking. Well, you really should be if you if you actually have a scheduled interview, you should be utilizing LinkedIn to send a request to the people like if you have any of the names you know you're going to be interviewing with or even just look up that hospital and find the recruiting team the hr any manager like just add people connect so that they remember your name and they already know like you took that extra step like before i interviewed for that mm-hmm. leadership program i got into i went i had the list of names of the panel interview and i went on linkedin and i sent a request to every single person mm-hmm. beforehand so even when we started off they're like oh i just like accepted your linkedin request the other day i'm like that was me uh, don't forget me oh like hello, hello i'm here it's me so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's underutilized for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and any opportunity you have to make a touch point like that with a real person is is really, really powerful, especially when there's, you know, so much that's happening, you know, online applications, AI, you know, one-way interviews. There are so many ways that people are trying to automate the hiring process and the job application process, which has its benefits. But any opportunity you have to make an actual connection point or a touch point with someone, whether it's an email or a phone call or a handshake or a LinkedIn network connection, like those are all really powerful things and will help you stand out for sure. Sort of along that bloodline, how has the interviewing process and job application process change over the past couple of years? Like what are the biggest changes that you've seen? I will say that virtual interviewing, you know, really took off, I think, at the beginning, season one of the pandemic, right? Um, and is still something that people are using for that initial pre-screen um, or that initial in place of the interview that would normally be in person. So that's still definitely happening, virtual interviewing. It's not usually the only interview. There's, you know, the second interview or a follow-up interview is usually happening in person. But something that I've also seen a bit is one-way interviewing, which is basically an opportunity for the HR team to screen more people. So essentially, this is when you would have questions that would pop up on a screen and you're recording yourself. You basically have two minutes to record your response and you can do a retake or whatever, but there's no person on the other end of the screen. You're just recording your response and then it goes to them for for their review. And some systems are advanced in using AI or artificial technology mm-hmm. to screen your actual interview responses, which is kind of creepy. It's so crazy. Technology. Yeah. So, so as a result, you may be getting more of those initial interviews because the HR team has the capacity to screen more people, either through virtual interviews or one-way interviews, which I think is great, especially if you are someone who interviews well or someone who really just needs the opportunity to sit down face-to-face with someone and explain who you are, what you do, how, why you're different, why you're you're good for the position. So those would be, you know, two trends that I think are here to stay in the interviewing world mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. So we know this to the core of our being, how important networking is, right? Like networking is, I 
personally feel like it's you're one a networking of the most, whore. yeah absolutely that is literally what i am <laughs> i love networking that's my favorite thing but let's say you're talking to emily she's an introvert she's has is does not have anybody in her medical field like she doesn't even know where to start um in terms of okay she's looking for a job um and she's trying to make connections like do you have any good suggestions or tips on how to successfully start networking the thing with networking is you kind of have to go into it without an expectation of anything in return. That's really the the true definition of networking is you may have some goals and objectives as to what these relationships will bring you, but if you go into it thinking, all right, I'm networking because I need someone to give me a job or I need it to lead to this, then you know, it may not be for the right reasons and it may not reveal what what you want from it. So that's the first thing that I will that I will say. And so along those same lines, finding opportunities to contribute and kind of make deposits in the networking world would be a great place to start. So, you know, concretely that could look like um, joining a local chapter of a professional organization or, um, I, I mean, to bring it back to LinkedIn again, I think LinkedIn is a really low barrier to entry networking opportunity for someone who is either new to an area or doesn't have actual network connections in the place that they want to work. So that's definitely an option. But also just kind of leaning on non-medical people in in your network. So, you know, there's an exercise that I like to walk people through of figuring out who you're hot warm and cold network connections are. And so your hot connections are basically, you know, first degree relationships that you have, people who you have their email address or your or their phone number or they're related to you. Um, and so Emily hopefully has some of those people in her hot circle. Mm-hmm. So basically asking those people for an introduction to someone that might be who she wants to connect with, right? Do you know anybody in the medical field? Do you know anybody in this specialty? Anyone who works at this particular facility? Um, And basically leaning on those people who are closest to you to help you out. And then the next layer of network connections would be your warm connections. So those would be people who you have maybe a mutual friend or more of acquaintance who you could reach out to, you know, maybe you share an alma mater, right? So like you could go to your alumni Mm -hmm. group and say, okay, is there, you know, I'm looking for anyone who lives in this area. You know, I'm also a student who went to such and such school and I'm looking to connect with, you know, whatever. So that's kind of the next layer. And then the cold layer are really all the people who you're hoping to connect with because they, you don't know them. Cold means, you know, you've never, you've never met them before. So I think like reframing networking in those layers can be helpful, especially if you're trying to figure out, gosh, who, who are my connections even, you know, because you can think back to, you know, everyone hopefully had some classmates when they went to school, Hopefully everyone had some clinical instructors. Like those are all people who can, who are in your network that you can either nurture a relationship with, rekindle a relationship with, or potentially even ask for specific introductions to whatever your ultimate objective is. Mm-hmm. I love that. The like classifying it those ways yeah, it helps you like it does. conceptualize it better. Categories. Yeah, for yeah. sure. How do you, like, what best advice to stand out against the competition, especially, Mm. like, if you're graduating even nursing school and, or, yeah, you're an experienced nurse, but, okay, so are 
the hundred mm-hmm. other people? Like, how do you stand out? Mm-hmm. It really helps to be passionate about something or to have some sort of conviction in whatever job you're applying for or specialty that you're going after and and to have evidence of that, to show that your interest, you know, came before the moment of this interview or or this conversation, right? So like showing that you have taken some continuing ed courses on your own time about this particular patient population or that you've volunteered or gotten a job working as a tech or a nurse's aide in in a particular area. So anytime that you can show that, you know, you don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be above and beyond. It just has to be some sort of alignment. And, and showing that and demonstrating that I think can be really helpful and can really help to stand out. You know, I used to say, you know, someone who goes above and beyond, who volunteers and works while they're in school and does this, that, and the other thing. And like, that's not realistic for, for everybody, but I think it is realistic for everybody to have the opportunity to stand out in some way. Um, so it's just a matter of kind of how you do it and how you show alignment and interest and kind of aptitude for whatever you are going after. Yeah. And it doesn't always, it's interesting because it doesn't always have to align, I think necessarily with exactly what you're going for. So like in my head, I know personally, um, three people who were all ex-military who were applying to NICU and like hearing their stories and like their, you know, their experiences and how it's applying to you know, why they want to become a NICU nurse, like you can really find an angle in any way when you're really trying to, you know, you, you never know. I mean, and we forget how unique our stories are, right? It's like, I think that's a big piece of it. It's like really digging deep into why am I unique and what can I bring? And like, what are my life experiences that I can bring to this, this unit or the setting or whatever it may be? I think with that comes a little bit of vulnerability and being willing to not only think about those stories in yourself and kind of think about those connecting angles, but also be willing to share and kind of reveal some of your humanity, uh, however, however you want that to be. Because I think that ultimately, like, that's how we connect with other people. That's how we remember other people's stories are really what bring us together, I think, as, as people and as a human race. And so any opportunity you have to tell a story or connect with someone over a story or an experience, I think can really go a long way. And I think, you know, when I've been on the the hiring end of things, that's really what, what I look for. Like, yes, I want you to have the technical skills to be able to do the job. You know, I want you to be qualified in that way, but I also want to know that you're a real person and that you mm-hmm. have some self-awareness and that will be able to connect in some way as opposed to having it be like this robotic mm-hmm. type of relationship. So if that's something that you struggle with, I would definitely encourage you to sit with that a little bit and and challenge yourself to think about how you can share and, and how you can connect and and how you can really mm-hmm. show more of yourself. Yeah. Well, especially with nursing or healthcare in general, technical skills can be taught all the things you just described Mm -hmm. are something that you like even if you don't have it it is something you can build but it's like there so that can Mm -hmm. compensate for maybe not even having the technical skills because you can learn the technical skills but who you are and what you bring to the table and all those other traits are to me matter more yeah i agree 
for sure. I want all of your best interview tips. Like, what are your best, top best things that, like, all of us should be doing? And, yeah, I I want all the goods. What do we got? So we already went over preparing your scenarios in advance and thinking about those in advance. That's definitely one of my top tips. Just preparing in general for an interview is is great. It's a, a lot more than what plenty of other people do. So it's not like rehearsing your answers, but thinking in advance what questions might be asked and practicing an answer or at least thinking about it. So being prepared for those common questions, you know, the tell me about a time when questions, but also tell me about yourself. Why do you want to work here, et cetera? I think that, you know, how you present yourself and how you connect with the person physically is important. So Mm -hmm. making sure that you're maintaining eye contact. And this goes, this is a really good virtual interview tip as well. And I'm doing this to you right now. I don't know if you can tell, (laughs) but (laughs) so, so look at your camera. Don't look at your screen. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that, uh, that a lot of people don't realize that they should be doing when they're doing a virtual interview is like look directly at the camera and pretend you're getting reciprocal eye contact even though you're not as opposed to looking down at your screen where I'm looking at you, I'm looking at your eyes, but you're not seeing mine. So doing that in person too. Um, Another thing is keeping your hands above the table and using your hands. It's kind of the psychological trust symbol that uh, people are more likely to trust you and connect with you and think that you are a safe person if you talk with your hands and keep them visible above the table. So I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting. That's like a data a data backed thing. Yes, for sure. I also recommend having a list of questions, being prepared with questions that you want to ask them, and even if they ask, even if they answer all of your questions, at the end, they're going to say, do you have any questions before you go? And don't say no. I want you to save a question question. for the end. (laughs) (laughs) Always have a question. question. Um, Yeah. Even if you have to like save one and keep it in reserve, my like go-to question that I keep in reserve is, you know, when should I be hearing from you? Or when, what's your decision-making timeline for this position? Something that is a question and also gives you the answer of when you should be following up if you don't hear. Speaking of that, I want you to always send a thank you note. It doesn't have to be physical anymore. 10 years ago, I would say that it did, but you can send a thank you email. That's totally fine. And then if you don't hear back within that time frame that they have told you or within a week or two, then I would definitely follow up because especially if it's a job that you really want. If it Mm -hmm. isn't, then don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wait, but I also want to know this. Let's do the flip side. What are the hard no's in an interview? Like the things we should absolutely not be doing. We are avoiding at all costs. We are not doing. <laughs> poor, yeah, poor etiquette. Yeah. Bad form. Yeah. Poor etiquette, bad form. Trash talking a previous employer is definitely bad form. There are ways to, you know, tactfully explain why you left, but you don't want to say any disparaging remarks because... Even if you're hired by this job, eventually they're going to be your ex-employer. And Mm -hmm. so they can kind of, you know, think towards the future and they don't necessarily want someone who's who's talking poorly about them. You know, you definitely want to have good technology etiquette, like keeping your phone away, that type of thing. You want to try not to be fidgety or shaking. You know, ideally you want to be uh, well-groomed and presenting yourself. Yeah, Yeah, control the nerves, exactly. Um, I like to always have some sort of like emergency kit with me. I had this terrible, terrible experience in an interview once where 
there was something in the air and I got a tickle in my throat. And when I tell you, I coughed and I coughed and I coughed and I coughed. They had to bring me water. I had to go to the restroom. Like it was so, so bad. I was, I was absolutely mortified. I got the job, but (laughs) but it was like, (laughs) and maybe that was memorable. Maybe that's something that you should do. Do something that will make them remember you. But yeah, so like I always bring water. I always bring a cough drop. I always bring tissues because I just never want to be like wiping my boogers on the back of my hand or, you know, doing anything that would be a real big turn off. So yeah, I think those are pretty basic. Like there aren't any secret no-no's when it comes to to interviews i think most of them are you know pretty common commonsensical what about uh attire clothes nails the whole shebang mm-hmm. yeah i don't like to tell people how to dress and how to present themselves like i'm not about that mm-hmm. i also want people to have the best chance possible for landing the job i don't ever want your appearance to necessarily work against you so my general rule of of thumb is to try to not be distracting, like try not to distract from your face if possible. And whatever that means to you and whatever is in your comfort zone for that. Like, I don't think a suit is necessary. Some people would say you have to wear mm-hmm. a suit. I think a blouse and, you know, trousers or slacks are Yeah, fine. there's so many cute styles out there nowadays. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I personally feel like the, I'm kind of jealous of Sam because she gets to do much more business casual now. And I'm like, <laughs> I actually low-key really love business casual because I think you can make it so cute I like I think it's so fun because you can dress it up and have like a tailored little outfit or like just there's so many cute fun ways you can make it and um yeah you can get creative with it but I agree with you I think keeping it simple and just you know because you want them to focus on you right and not Definitely. the other thing whatever it is yeah yeah that's yeah I, I think you know being I guess as neutral as possible like I don't know if that's the right way to to phrase it because like I said I would never want to say like you're not the right person for this job because of how you dress Mm -hmm. because you know I think that's that's rude and it's a slippery a slippery slope and I want you to feel comfortable with how whatever your expression is Mm -hmm. but at the same point like just you know put yourself through you know a little bit of a filter when you're getting ready and make, and make sure you're, you know, you're leading with your most authentic self and also however you want to best be perceived in a way that's mm-hmm. not going to be distracting from the real important thing, which is, you know, the content of your character and your experience and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel like we've trended towards a less like, you know, back in the day, like cover up every single tattoo, I was, natural yes, hair color. Right. Like my yeah. mom, like I have my nose pierced and she's like, how do you have with your new job, your nose pierced, and like, because it's 2022, and like, yeah. top C-suite, like, people have full sleeve tattoos, yeah. mom, she's like, no way, I'm like, you don't work in <laughs> any capacity, you have no idea, but it's still like, oh my gosh, I told her, I'm like, mom, that is literally so antiquated now, to we, think well, that, you know like, what's interesting, okay, so when we all probably started, it, it was it so was. much more formal though. It was like ten years ago when we were. I had red hair when I was in nursing school, like yeah. little aerial red hair, and yeah. I dyed it back to my natural brown before I started my new grad interviews. I had a nose piercing. I took it out. 
not going to happen yeah. now. Now, <laughs> you know, it's like, so different, you know, and there's certain things, you know, for facial piercings, like obviously for N95 and for your fit test, whatever, and beards and whatnot, there's certain considerations you have to make. Yeah. But we have best friends who all have sleeves and they're, you know, they work bedside. Well, obviously we, like acrylic nails with nursing. Yes. Like we yeah. can't have There's those. standards. There's like health. That's a health standard. Yeah. But. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's funny because it has, the scape has changed a lot and I'm actually really glad. And the reason also is because all our patients, you know, it's like, it's relatable sometimes when, if totally. a guy, if a dude walks into an ER and he's, you know, having whatever the issue is, and then he sees someone and it's like relatable and then maybe he's more comfortable talking to that dude. Cause he's, you know, yeah. it's just, I think it's a little bit more, it brings relatability and it brings a piece of humanity to us it's like we're still normal people too and mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and i think that's important for us i think that's important for us as nurses to like be seen in a relatable way mm-hmm. because i feel like for years we've been you know yeah. kind of typecasted in in a particular way and and really like the origin of our, of our profession was a very you know typecast gender role type of type of role so yeah i think that that's actually really mm-hmm. healthy for our profession to to be more relatable and to reflect the people that we're taking care of for sure yeah i agree how do we overcome the issue of imposter syndrome. <laughs> like I know so many of us face this. I know Sam and I have our fair share, but do you have any good insight or thoughts or, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like how do we overcome this? <laughs> so I think that, you know, if you're always moving forward, you're always going to experience some, most people are, are always going to experience some sort of imposter syndrome. And I think that it's important to normalize it. And and actually, you know, there's some good research about how to move through imposter syndrome. And one of the first things is to name it and to acknowledge like, oh, what this feeling that I am feeling right now, it is imposter syndrome. And, <laughs> and kind of naming it can be helpful. Another thing that's really helpful to move through it is to have some sort of mentorship relationship, whether that is with someone who's more advanced than you, you know, like a professional mentor, someone more experienced, but peer mentorship can be really helpful for this too. So, you know, having a group, a camaraderie of you know, nurses who started on your same floor around the same time or classmates um, and and basically having the opportunity to process your experiences and to learn from one another can be can be really helpful. Uh, and just kind of reframing your thoughts about imposter syndrome and and what it means. like it if you're experiencing it, it it usually means that you are, moving in a forward direction, that you're challenging yourself, that you are growing and stretching your brain. And, you know, if you can kind of reframe what it means to have that feeling, then I think that it can feel, you can feel better about it, you know, as opposed to never feeling that imposter syndrome and and maybe having some complacency or not being challenged or being kind of a stagnant place. You know, I think most of us would prefer to be in more of a place of growth and and stretch. And so if you just kind of realize and understand that, you know, imposter syndrome kind of comes with the territory and know the things that help you personally move through it, then I think that that's kind of the best 
that we can that do. we all feel it. Yeah. <laughs> we all go through it. <laughs> What's your best piece of advice for new grads or people new entering the healthcare field for the first time? And then your best piece of advice for experienced people who need a change? For people who are new to really be sure that you are learning about yourself, what's important to you personally, and and chase that and give your give permission to your career to support those dreams, right? Like I'm not saying that it's not good to be career ambitious because I love that too, but I see so many folks who really kind of lose their dreams and, you know, at the expense of their career and then it leads to burnout or, you know, professional regret or all sorts of things or, you know, issues in their personal life. So I, I would just, you know, encourage new people to really know what's important to you personally and to to keep that close and keep that in the forefront and not sacrifice that for your career. In terms of experienced people, uh, and I mean, this really goes for everyone. I, I would really love for nursing professionals, healthcare professionals in general, to not put yourself in a box and to really uh, expose yourself to all the things that are possible for you. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record about how I think that it is amazing when nurses realize that you don't have to be a bedside nurse for your whole career. It doesn't make you any less of a nurse. There are so many opportunities that you probably can't even fathom because we're so used to seeing such traditional roles in nursing. Um, so just leaving yourself open to those possibilities. And and if you have a good idea, explore that good idea. And and if you have an opportunity or an idea that leads you away from the bedside, like don't view that as some sort of weakness or some sort of thing that you shouldn't be doing um, because there are just there are just so many things that we can do within our profession, and I really think that we should be celebrating that as opposed to shaming it, which I think, unfortunately, happens quite a bit. That is literally what this show is based yes. on. It's, like, <laughs> so interesting because Sam and I, we've talked about it, you know, quite a bit about just your – the nursing role isn't just in the hospital at the bedside. It's becoming so much more than that. And it's interesting because, you know, I, it's it's twofold. It's like not only is this opening opportunities for people, but truly like we need it, right? Mm-hmm. We need nurses in a lot of different capacities, whether that's a nurse creating, um, you know, an NCLEX review, whether it's someone starting a brand new business or a product, um, someone who's, you know, even aesthetics, right? It's like you're starting to open up these new doors and avenues and public I just, health, public tech, health, hundred percent. So I mean, every avenue. So it's just, it's really interesting because it's like, it's almost like nursing to me is overall, like, I just think of it like, it, it's like an umbrella of health and just, you know, and how we can help in every way. And that, and that goes into innovation that goes Mm -hmm. into tech that goes into, it's so interesting. It's like, well, healthcare doesn't occur only inside a hospital, but nursing school is taught how to work inside a hospital. NCLEX is to get a license to work inside a hospital. Mm -hmm. That is literally where that's all that it's tailored around to. And I wish that it was taught more in school. Mm -hmm. 
it, I, I, hopefully down the line, I'm like, well, social media, the power of social be. media mm-hmm. and, you know, people following your content and things like that yeah. are seeing all the different options. So I think that's why it's so important to have people in that space sharing, <laughs> sharing yes. the good news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want people to know, sure. you know, what's possible for them because until you know what's possible for you, like your ideas may seem really far-fetched or you may not even entertain those ideas. Even if it doesn't seem possible, don't 100%. feel like, like be afraid to be the one to blaze totally. the trail. Like the resume RX didn't exist until you decided that this it's going to exist and it's going to exist now. So it's like, that's how, just take the leap yeah. sometimes. I have to ask this though. I meant to ask this earlier, but um, okay, so one of the, the specialties that you really niche down in on is NP, right? And the new NP is going into their role. And we we most likely have a, a handful of selfie listeners. So I have to ask this. Can you just break down really quick the difference or maybe the dynamics of negotiating salaries mm-hmm. as a nurse and then NP? Love and that. like maybe the yes. differences because I... Yeah. yeah, so what's really tricky about the NP role is that the way that we are paid for, you know, within the business environment is we are paid for by the revenue that we generate for the practice or the organization, right? We are revenue generating providers. And there is usually formulas and calculations that determine what uh, a fair market salary is for a particular NP role based on um you know, the specialty that they're in, how many patients they can see per day, because it's basically all just a big math equation, right? Like how many patients can you see? What level of coding are you doing for those patients? What's your average reimbursement based on the demographic of the patients of that of that clinic or that, um, that organization? Multiply it by how many hours that NP is working in a year, and that's how you know how much revenue we generate. And then you got to take some off the top for the overhead of whatever organization there is, then some for benefits. And basically what's, what you're left with is the, you know, the earning opportunity for that NP's salary. So I think, first of all, it's really important for everyone to understand that about our role and about you know, where our role fits in the business structure of healthcare. Nursing salaries are a lot different, right? They're, it's not directly tied to your productivity. It's more included in this kind of overall delivery of healthcare and potentially, you know, in the overhead that's cut off the top of the providers of that revenue being generated. But what happens is these roles, while they're so uniquely linked, right? You have to be an RN before you can be an advanced practice nurse. The paths that we're on are pay scales and and how our salaries are created are really different. And so what oftentimes will happen is a very experienced RN will become an NP and find themselves taking a pay cut because the salary that they're offered mm-hmm. is a lot lower than what they were making as an RN mm-hmm. because they're still a novice NP and their their productivity as an NP, even though they have years of RN experience, is still only going to be, you know, average for for a starting for a starting um, advanced practice nurse. Right. So there are ways to incorporate your 
incorporate these things in conversations in negotiation, right? Like you can leverage things like what you know the fair market rate is for your area. This goes for, you know, both RNs and NPs. You can do some research as to what others are being paid in your area and kind of what that fair market analysis is. And then you can have a conversation of the additional value that you are bringing to the role, which sometimes is not of monetary value, uh, direct monetary value, but still is something that you can leverage in these conversations. So salary negotiation is is tricky. There's a lot that kind of goes into it. It's not just you saying, all right, this is how much money I want to make, so please give me this much money. Or you know, if you're an NP, you can't just be like, well, I was making this as an RN, please match that. Because that doesn't mean anything to the people who are hiring the NPs. Mm-hmm. So um, there, I definitely see and witness and and kind of help facilitate a lot of the frustrations of people who are going from one role to the other because it's just so different. And there's not always going to be a clear cut yeah. you know, pay scale for NPs as there is for RNs and we're very rarely paid by the hour. We're most likely paid salary, which means that even if we work 60 hours in a week, we're not getting paid overtime. And that can yeah. be really difficult to deal with when you're used to being paid for every minute that you work. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I was speaking to, so Natalie, um, who's, uh, we just love Natalie. She was saying when she was transferring or starting as a pediatric NP that part of the pay considerations were things like, I think in the, her salary, she was able to work like one less day a week. So therefore, you know, her salary increased per hour. Also they're reimbursing for education. They're reimbursing for like a lot of other compensation package. Right. So it's like, they're looking at. Yeah. So it's like, you're getting compensated in NP roles in different ways than you are necessarily in RN. RN, you know, it's typically hourly, right. But in your NP role, she was saying she's getting a different, it's just a different type of how she's getting paid essentially. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. Do you think an hourly RN should be negotiating their pay? I think it depends. Uh, you know, it depends on a lot of factors. If you're in kind of a major medical center and there's a predetermined pay scale that's public mm-hmm. or you're in a so nursing like union, yeah, like yeah, there's not a lot too, of yeah. wiggle room there. And and more mm-hmm. often than not, like the place where you have wiggle room is when you're going to a new job or when you have another offer and you're trying to play a little bit of hardball and basically saying like that you are planning on leaving unless they can match your new offer. It's usually, you know, in most cases, those types of things that end up moving the needle the most. Sometimes, you know, if like, let's say you're a magnet hospital, you might make more if you get an additional certification or, you know, if you get your master's, those types of things. So I find that it's harder for RNs, hourly RNs to negotiate in jobs that they currently have, right, in the same position, Mm -hmm. unless they're adding in a responsibility or a certification or something extra that they know already holds weight with that organization. What if they've like interviewed for a new job and they, you know, call them, offer them the job and say, okay, this is the starting pay. Do you think they should kind of ever counter? Yeah, definitely. Especially if it's not like a union. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that can often be kind of the best opportunity for you to um, 
for you to negotiate is is as a, a new employee. And you know, a lot of times you're going to lean on you know the experience that you have and and you know fair market pay, of course, but also you know those other things that help you stand out. The same things that you're going to talk about that help you stand out during the interview can also be things that you lean on when you're having those negotiation discussions as well. I didn't ever think that was something nurses could do, like negotiate yeah. our salary, like if for a new job, like to be like, oh, thank you for the offer actually. And like counter that. I, when I like kind of realized that I was like, wow. wow. <laughs> All these things we missed. Yeah, no, yeah. really though. Yeah, I mean, God. the worst they can say is no. Um, which yeah. is yeah. which is fine, and you just need to decide yourself. Like, all right, are you are you gonna walk? Are you gonna play the angle of like this is the lowest I can take? So if they say no, you're gonna walk away. Versus you're gonna just try, and if they say no, you're still gonna take it. Like yeah. you need to decide that usually before you go into the conversation. But yeah, it's it's very very rare. Even an extra dollar. Out yeah, of why not? Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very rare that they're going to rescind the offer because you attempted to negotiate. I've seen that happen like a couple of times and usually because they've offered it to multiple people and they're just, they end up going with whoever signs yeah. fastest, which is a red flag. You wouldn't want to work mm-hmm. there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've received? Wear SPF every day. <laughs> No, seriously though, that is that preacher. Keep the skin. I'm so obsessed with that. Sorry, I'm like I'm I'm like obsessed with with skincare lately. So I feel like any opportunity to spread that message is important. Yes, please do. But let's see, like healthcare related wise, nursing related wise, I life life related wise. Okay, yeah, I think that it's that the best piece of advice. And, and I'm not sure if it was ever told to me or it was really more of a realization that I came to, but, you know, that that no one is going to look out for me the way I am going to look out for me. And I think that is a realization I've come to after many years of people pleasing and kind of doing things because I felt it was what others expected of me and kind of once I realized that I actually get to make all the decisions like it's it's my life and yes there are factors that have to influence my decisions that I don't have control over but for the most part like I can decide what I want to do that's what it means to be an adult I feel like that's a pretty uh, a pretty earth-shattering uh revelation uh when you come to it I think that was like one of the wisdoms of being in my mid-30s took me that long so that's what I would that's I guess a piece of advice that I would pass along is just listening to yourself it's so funny because I like love that you said that because it's so simple but I actually feel like that's something that I finally have come around to as well where I'm like, I am choosing to do these things. I am the driver of my life. And if I'm not happy doing something or I'm not fulfilled, I'm making a move. I'm making Mm -hmm. a change. And at any moment, I can make a decision to change whatever the course may be. And it's really empowering, you know, like it's simple, but it's like, I'm an adult. I can, I can say no. I can say yes. I can, you know. One time when I was drunk, my Uber driver told me that you are the author of your own story. (laughs) And I was crying. 
And I was drunk and I was like, well, I'm a shitty author. It was a moment. But I was literally like, that's the best Uber ride I've ever gotten in my entire life. Like, I was like crying. It was like a whole, like going through a breakup situation. I was like in Portland and he's like, you know, you're the author of your own story. Oh my God. I love it. Extra tip. Thanks, Todd. We love you. Oh, oh we love it. Um, okay, we need a quick recap on all the things that you have going on right now. All of the goods. We okay. Obviously, we know we we've been partnered with you now for years, and we can't share your products enough. Code selfie. <laughs> shout shameless yeah. shout out. Code selfie. No, we get so many people that are like, oh my gosh, I like listen to your podcast, and then I use Resume RX, and yep. they DM us like I got my job at my level four NICU dream job. It's so cool. I love to hear that. But we want to hear the rundown of all Yes, yes. So you can follow me on social media. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, though I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Instagram at the moment, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> at the resume RX is where you can find me there and um, you can browse through my feed. My website, theresumerx.com has a ton of blog posts that you can search, that you can peruse. My podcast podcast is on indefinite hiatus, but a nurse becoming podcast is what it's called. I've got over 150 episodes, almost all exclusively about uh, work-life balance, interviews, job searching, like all the things that we talked about today. There's a deep dive into pretty much everything. So lots of archives to sift through. And also at theresumerx.com is my shop. And the shop has my resume templates, my programs, and I have an interview prep program that's fairly new. And the code SELFIE will save you 20%. 20%. Yes. That's like a- that's a good deal. deal. Yeah. That's way. a really good deal. Especially because it's not like, you know, when you're buying something that has shipping and all that stuff. Where well, you're also, like, you're I'm sorry, home. but we're going to get yeah. you your job and you're going to be making so much money. You don't even you know. The return on investment, return on here investment here with like this is high level. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The template bundle <laughs> is $37 full price, um, which is already a steal. It comes with six templates. That is it's more 11. than worth it. I redid mine in. I think it was Courtney and Mia. I think those were the two that I did. And I'm it's I cannot recommend them enough. They're so easy, plug and play. I mean it's it's well, aesthetically, aesthetically I appreciate the gorgeous the co-sign. Stunning, honey. We love them. <laughs> love it. Yeah. We're we're big fans. Yeah. Very like highly Always. recommend mm-hmm. selfie listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda, for I coming know. on. Oh my god. This adorable. was like Thank dropping you. all yes. the like words of wisdom, mm-hmm. the gems here. I know. Anytime. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. That is like a January episode you needed because if you were thinking about like changing careers, now's the time. If you're getting started, boom, here you go. Honestly, like we've said it a million times, Tori and I both used it, but yeah. Yeah. And as you guys know as well, 20% off code selfie, that's going to get you 20% off all the products. We live and swear by these products. Amanda is, she's just such an expert in this field. And that's what we really love to bring you here. Our true experts in what in their field and what they're doing and creating all these amazing things for you. So definitely check that out. Um, We are so glad to have her on. And again, 
again, it's January. We're getting our lives together. We're 20, sprucing it up. Yeah. 2023 is about living your best life. Absolutely. Like we're not, we left all that behind in 2020 in no, the pandemic. We're being fabulous. Like, we're living We left it behind year. with our surgical masks. <laughs> Just kidding. But 2023, it's time. Do it. We love it. Um, all right, Get you your guys. shit together. <laughs> Get your shit together. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all the goodies, including the Resume Rx link there in the bio for you. And honestly, I think there's one month left to book Bali. Yes. And there's like so many, there's only a few spots left. And then there's so many people that told us they're just waiting to find out about their vacation approval. And then they plan on booking. So like, if you're thinking about it, it might be gone by the time you actually make that decision. Cause there's like a handful of people I know that are just waiting for the final approval. So literally get in, get in. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for all your reviews. If you leave your Instagram handle and your Apple podcast review, we'll send you stickers, goodies, five stars on Spotify. Thank Appreciate you. the support. Love you. Mean Free it. Free way to support the show. And thank you so much for being here with us, you guys. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we got a fun bonus episode this week. Get excited. It'll See make you, you think. Yes, it will. Okay, you guys. Bye. Bye.